Please note, in today's episode we will be discussing issues around death and palliative care that some listeners may find upsetting. People had a very close association with death and people knew about death from a very young age. Join us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects, Stories from Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're looking at 100 objects from Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area to celebrate a century of our museums and to find out more about the past and how we relate to it now. Today's object is an advertisement for a product which the Victorians would have known well, but which today most people have never heard of. It's a product linked with death and a relationship with it which is quite different from ours today. Today's object is a leaflet for Hughes and Maudsley funeral biscuits. The leaflet is about A5 in size. The paper is an off-white and all the printing is done in black ink. Running around the edge is a thick black border which contains a repeating pattern of skulls, bones and winged hourglasses, a symbol of mortality in Victorian England. Inside this heavy border is printed text, set out in several different fonts. It reads, Funeral Biscuits by Hughes and Maudsley, Successors to Mrs Harding, Number 36 Cheapside, Lancaster. Below is a poem which refers to the death of a loved one and starts, O ye who with the silent tear and saddened steps assemble here to bear these cold, these loved remains where dark and cheerless silence reigns. We spoke to Amy Gadu, Senior Lecturer in Palliative Care at Lancaster University Medical School, about this leaflet to find out more about Victorian rituals around death and funerals and how things have changed today. We started with the basics to find out what exactly funeral biscuits were. Well, I think that's a good question because I wasn't really sure what they were when I first saw them. But so I found out that they're literally just biscuits that are served or associated with funerals. And they were part of Victorian life across the UK and North America. It's not really certain where they originated from, but certainly they were in a gentleman's magazine in 1790. And it seemed that the custom of the funerals of the middling and lower classes of people is to provide a kind of sugared biscuits, which are wrapped up, generally two of them together, in a sheet of white paper sealed with black wax and thus presented to each person attending the funeral. So at that time, in 1790, the writer couldn't find out from the locals when this custom had started. They were still being mentioned in articles in the 1870s and 1880s, both in the UK and North America, where they also called Ladyfingers. The biscuits also sent to people after the funeral or with the invites to the funeral, as well as being served in the event itself. So the height of their popularity, these biscuits were an essential part of funeral proceedings and made part of some funerals right to the 1940s until rationing meant they fell out of fashion. There's no set recipe for funeral biscuits, but they usually seem to be a flour-based biscuit, which could be anything from shortbread to a sponge mixture, usually including some sort of dark sugar, like tree cun spice, such as caraway or ginger. So the advertisement is for Hughes and Morsley of number 36 Cheapside. They proudly proclaim their successors to Mrs Harding, so we're presuming Mrs Harding was another baker in the area. They're listed to be in confections and trade directory. They are not listed in the 1844 directory, but they do appear in Cheapside in 1851, so they probably started between 1844 and 1851. 
They seem to move to several premises in Cheapside, being listed in number 36, number 26 and number 19, before finally disappearing before the 1889 directory was published. To get an idea of how death was a fairly common part of life in Victorian Lancaster, we asked Amy what the mortality rates would have been like at the time. Mortality has changed a lot since the 1850s, so, so we're presuming this is about, about 1850s. The life expectancy for a man in the UK was just 40 and for a female just 43, um, and so that's very different to now. And they really, also very interestingly and quite concerning, was quite a lot of differences in inequality and death as well. So the biggest determination was that wealth and deprivation. So in parts of Lancaster, you might have 10 or more people sharing one house and they had quite poor sewage and water systems at that time, which obviously greatly contributed to the mortality. Richard Owen wrote a report into health of the area in 1845. It showed that the member of the local gentry could expect to live over 20 years longer than the average worker. For children and young people, the life expectancy was even lower, with the average child factory hand in Lancaster dying at the age of 15. Although Owen started a report saying that Lancaster was pleasantly situated and remarkably clean, he goes on to say the unsanitary conditions and poor water supplies in parts of the town were causing massive loss of life. He quotes one doctor saying, fevers were seldom absent from certain localities, blaming it on the general causes connected with the state of dwellings of the labouring classes. Visiting many yards and streets in the town were reported in awful conditions. In Dye House Lane, he recounts a tenant who could not bide in the house. The stench at night was sometimes past bearing. Rent was low, one set shilling, nine pence per week for three rooms and accounts of the nuisance. They could afford to pay more, they would not stay. But as one of the tenants said, needs make one submit. Owen's report and his regulations are followed did make changes like updating the water supply in the town, but unsanitary conditions and low average life expectancy continued on for many years. Today, we do not have to face the high levels of mortality that Lancastrians were facing in the 1850s. Amy explained to us how she has seen through her work that this has changed the relationship that our society has with death today. So in 2019, average life expectancy for a man in Lancaster Morgan was 78.3 years and for a woman 82.5 years. So we can say it's almost double what it was like in that time. So that's really a, is a massive difference. That, that difference in life expectancy really makes a big difference in how you approach death. So in the Victorian times, death would have been very common. So those descriptions of people living together in very crowded conditions with a high child mortality, most people dying before they were 40, really meant that people had a very close association with death and people knew about um, and experienced death from a, from a very young age. Also, people were dying most commonly at home in, in those situations as well. So everyone would be aware of death and they would see people dying. And so um, it was a very common part of life. And so they had very elaborate rituals associated with death and dying. So, you know, these things like funeral biscuits always seem very strange to us today. They had very um, elaborate funeral rituals. They used to have, take photographs, for example, of, of the death if, if, if they could afford that. So, so very different to how it is today. So I work as a, a consultant in palliative care and we do find uh, not uncommonly that people who are facing the, their own death or, or the 
or the death of a loved one, they haven't actually experienced the, the death of a, someone close to them. And this makes this really difficult for, for them. Or if they have had a death, it's quite often happened in the hospital and I'm working in the community and supporting people who, who would like to have their care and maybe even their, their death at home. Um, and so this makes it very difficult, very isolating for patients and their families because death is almost seen as a taboo and it's something that's not talked about or discussed. And so what is already a very distressing time for patients and their families made worse by the, the isolation and almost the stigma that they're associated with by going through this, this very difficult time. Our funeral biscuit leaflet was produced at a time before the NHS and when most healthcare for ordinary people was supplied by a pharmacist and the people who lived with them. Today we have a range of healthcare professionals like Amy who specialise in end-of-life care. She went on to tell us a little bit more about the work that she has been doing in this difficult field. We get to know patients and their family over time and then we're able to, if they wish, explore with them about the process of dying and what might happen and how we can support them and that can be really, really important. You know, the individual patient is really, really important and that is that is always my drive and passion but it's also to think wider, what can we do to a societal level or, or, or to um, a level of the healthcare organisations to improve the situation. So we have this idea of um, compassionate communities where we develop the community to be more aware of death and dying. There's a week called Dying Matters Week where there's lots of events and, and, and to, to improve awareness of death and dying and make people more able and willing to, to talk about these issues if they, if they want to. And then with my academic work, there's two projects I particularly want to talk about. One is called Deathbed Etiquette, which is a guide that was produced with St Mary's University in, in Twickenham, London. It's a guide to explain to people who are at the bedside of someone who's dying about the process of dying in a, in a gentle way, about what some of the things that might happen, some of the things that they might want to think about. But there were still some things that struck Amy about the leaflet and the society that it was produced in, which she thinks still need addressing today. We can say things have changed and it's fantastic that the life expectancy in Lancaster has almost doubled and I think that's a real celebration of, of, of many people's work and we might say it's the medical profession but actually it's a lot to do with sanitation and those sort of things that improved. But the thing that I found really difficult to read about and learn about was the inequalities um, as well between the differences between deprivation and those with, with wealth and unfortunately that inequality remains today in healthcare. It might be different but it hasn't um, changed and, and certainly there's been a lot of work with the Covid pandemic in particular has highlighted something that's been around well I would say from this 1850s and probably well before that but still is around today and particularly looking at coastal communities. So as many of you remember the chief medical officer during COVID, Professor Chris Whitty, has written a report on deprivation in coastal communities um, which is very important for Lancaster and Morecambe. And then so with my work in palliative care we do see inequalities in access to palliative care for patients as well so that's a project that I have a PhD students are looking at and looking at inequalities in deprivation but also other areas of inequality and that's important work as well. Yes, if people are interested in any of these projects then you can look on my university webpage. It's also the Centre for Dying Well at St Mary's Twickenham University which has the Deathbed Etiquette Guide and there's also guides for people with different religious beliefs. Thank you for joining us for another episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We have lots more episodes where we discuss everything from ship's logs to stand-up comedians. <laughs>